Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. That's one of those songs that just gives me great hope because it says, praise him ye dumb. And I'm just really glad that I get to be part of that. So praise the Lord. Well, this morning, as we wind up our series of messages talking about the vision that God has called us to here at Littlestown Chapel, and I just want to remind you that the elders have spent most of last year and into the beginning of this year prayerfully seeking God's direction for our church. And we've been presenting that to you over the last several weeks as to what God is calling us to do. And the bottom line is, is that we really do believe that God is calling us as a church over the next decade to win over a thousand people to Christ. And you're just saying that is such a preposterous number, or ridiculous, or how would we ever do that? Or how can you quantify, it sounds so mechanical, how can you make that happen when it has to be a work of God? And you're absolutely right. But that calls us to pray, that calls us to seek his filling, that calls us to seek revival, to, to seek his working in us and through us to win these folks to Christ. And we pointed out that in the, you know, if you, if you go in any direction from the chapel and you go 10 miles and you have that circle of area, you're, you're looking at about three, 314 square miles. And as you look at that area, there's over 100,000 people that live in this area. And many of them don't know Christ. Most of them probably don't. And even those who go to church are perhaps going to churches where the scripture is not taught and the gospel's not proclaimed and they don't know Jesus. Not saying that in judgment on anybody that they don't measure up or they're not good enough. Don't mean it that way. But even if you go to a good church where God's word is faithfully taught, there are many of us that don't understand things. I remember as a teenager attending a church down in Colesville, Maryland, down in the Washington suburbs. And I remember that there were two girls that came to our, our youth group. And then it was a Sunday where, you know, I was a seventh grader and, and they came and they started talking about the difference that Christ had made in their lives. And these were peers of mine, young, young girls that were within just a couple years of my age. And I remember laughing at them and making fun of them and kind of mocking under my breath what they were saying, that Jesus was coming back, that Christ had died for our sins and that he had changed their lives. And I remember ridiculing them as a seventh grader. So it's possible to go to a church where the message, the right message is preached and still miss it. And I have a hunch that that's a lot of folks in our community because I know what I'm like. I know the pride that I've had and have and have the resistance of yielding to God's work in, in my life. So with that in mind, we are endeavoring by the grace of God through his power, the working of his spirit to declare the good news of Jesus, to plant all kinds of seeds and not just literal seeds, but seeds of the word, seeds of the message, seeds of our testimonies to help people come to faith in Christ. And we've pointed out that really there are a set of sub goals, like a sub vision that are, 
that are underpinnings, pillars that are holding up this major vision as we're trying to see what God's going to do through us. And Frank, if you'd show us the next slide, it's just important to recognize that all four of these things are very important. They're components of this vision and we'll never reach 1030 by 2030 if we leave any of these components out. And so we have to endeavor to work at all of them. And in the process, we truly become a healthier, stronger church that's able to make a difference, a powerful difference in our community as well. And so we recognize if we're going to truly win that number of people and help them become members of God's family and members of his church, whether it's here at Littlestown or in another community, if they become members of the family of God and members of the church of Jesus Christ, as we're doing that, we have to become a stickier church. We need to help build connections. And so we're connecting with one another in order that we might grow. So we want to double the number of our growth groups. And we've talked about that, how that maturity happens in community. And I can't be all that I am to be by myself. I can't be myself by myself. I need to be in community with others as well. But that growth that we're experiencing needs to happen beyond just fellowshipping with one another in a growth group. We're endeavoring to be intentional and in having ongoing discipleship opportunities people to be mentored and to be encouraged in their faith and to be rooted in their faith and to be able to move forward with Christ. I'm, I'm grateful for, for uh, Dan Davis's and Brian Robinson's leadership in the area of doubling the number of our growth groups. And I'm thankful for Jim Green and, and Rob Friel who are helping me in the area of, of, of constructing processes and, and inviting people to join us in, in the, the ways of helping people grow stronger in their faith. I thank you for filling out the little cards that we had the other Sunday that talked about areas that you would like to grow in and areas that you would like to help others grow in. And I'm grateful that you were willing to take part in that. And you gave us many great ideas and reminders of things that are on your heart about your relationship with Christ and your care and concern about other people and ways that you can serve. Thank you for for giving us that information. It was immensely helpful to us as we've been processing that information as well. Last week, we talked about the fact that it's not just about growing in our knowledge of the Lord, but growing so that we can serve, so that we actually can benefit and bless the community. I'm so glad that uh, Justin Myers, the deputy chief from the Alpha Fire Company, was here to remind us again of, of the ways that we've been able to serve in the community, how we're happy to serve as a church, to be a blessing to others. That that's something that we delight in. And again, I just want to say how proud I am of so many of you. In fact, I'm proud of all of you. I just want to let you know that. But I'm especially proud of those that were willing to serve last summer at the, at the Fire Company Carnival. And I'm Grateful for, to all of you who've signed up to help with the community Easter egg hunt, a way, an opportunity for us to share the gospel as well. And we talked about the fact that if discipleship is letting Jesus become the king of everything in our lives, then, then service, service is truly all about that I am yielding and letting God use me. I am yielding to Christ so that he can work through me to bless and serve others as well. That's really what service is all about. Jesus, I belong to you and I want you to work through me to touch the lives of other people. And if we are yielded to him, then he will truly work through us. And that's a very important reminder as well. All this is building to this one aspect of our vision that is so 
compelling. It's, it's intimidating in a good way. It's, it's a bit scary and, and maybe even frightening when we think about what we're endeavoring to do. But yet it's something that's so inspiring. It's something that's so powerful. It's something that we have to give ourselves to. And that is simply this, is that we're committed to sharing the gospel so that we can plant another church within the next five years. And really, we recognize it's not just planting a church, but planting churches, churches that will reproduce, churches that will help others grow. And I think that, really, we've got to be committed to doing this. We, we have to be willing to engage in this. Even though it's a very intimidating, it'll take an uh, endeavor, even though it's, it's, it's going to be costly financially, costly in energy, costly in manpower. It'll be challenging in many ways, but it's worth doing because of the Great Commission. The fact that Jesus has called us to share our faith with others. In fact, Frank, if you just would show the next slide. Jesus said in Acts chapter one, this is right before he leaves, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so that's really the plan of Jesus. He said on other occasions that you are to be my witnesses, and not only my witnesses, but you're to make disciples of all the nations. You're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you're to teach them to do everything that I've commanded you. And by the way, you're not by yourself. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. As long as you're doing this, as long as you're endeavoring to reach these people, as long as you're trying to start these churches and make disciples, as long as you're doing that, I will be with you as you do it. Now, some of you are sitting back and going this, but I don't see anything in there about starting other churches. So what are you talking about? Are you just making it say something it doesn't say? Well, something that helps me understand why starting other churches is so important is when we look at the history of the early church in the book of Acts, which we're going to do in just a moment, and we see that churches were begun in different communities throughout the Roman Empire as people began to hear the gospel and began to gather because they believed and began to encourage one another and began to grow. They began to organize and start these local churches all throughout the cities of the Roman Empire. They did that. It, was, it just happened. It was organic. And it didn't come down from headquarters. It was just something they started doing. And as they did that, the church began to flourish and grow and more and more people were one to Christ. And the name of Jesus was lifted up and exalted. The Great Commission is one reason why we need to plan other churches. But there's, there's another thing. And that is our great legacy as a church. Our great heritage as a church. And that is our history. This December... The last Sunday of December is the 50th anniversary of our church. The first worship services of Littlestown Chapel Outreach for Christ took place on that Sunday, the very last Sunday of 1970. And that worship service involved praying for and giving to seeing people take the gospel to Native American people living in Quebec, people living out in the bush, people living far away from Western civilization who needed to hear the gospel. And the point leader of all that was the founding pastor of our church, Reverend Ken Henry. And Ken had gone to Canada to go fishing on vacation. 
He traveled there with another man from the church and they had had a fishing guide and they enjoyed their time up in the woods and spending their time fishing and when they wanted to worship and when they wanted to do that, they were far away. There was no church nearby. And this was absolutely shocking to Ken because he could see the Catholic churches. He could see the presence and influence of Roman Catholic priests throughout that area. He even saw kingdom halls of the Jehovah's Witnesses. He knew that the Jehovah's Witnesses were up there in the bush. But where were the evangelical gospel preaching churches? Where were the churches that were going to be faithful in declaring the good news of Jesus Christ that he had died for our sins, that he had risen from the dead, and by trusting him alone that you could be saved and born again and become a child of God and join his family, his forever family? Who was telling that message up there? He came home burdened, burdened, burdened by this. He asked the denomination that he was part of, can you send missionaries up there? Can we do that? Would you please send somebody up there? No, we can't do that. We're already stretched in other directions. We're not going to do that. He had a friend, Elwin Palmer, who was part of a mission board called WEC, Worldwide Evangelization Crusade, headquartered in Fort Washington in the Philadelphia suburbs. And he said to Elwin, Elwin, can you all send missionaries to Canada, to Quebec, to reach the native people? And Elwin said, Ken, we'd love to. We see that. We know it. We know that there's a need there, but we just can't. Our resources are spread too thin throughout the Middle East and Far East Asia in these countries. There's no way that we can send somebody up there. Now, we don't have the manpower. We don't have the financial resources to do it. So Ken, kind of like the little red hen, said, I'll do it myself by the grace of God with the people who gathered around him. He would drive down to the eastern shore and buy vegetables and he'd bring them back and they'd have a stand in front of the church. The church is still standing. The building's still standing on Frederick Street across from the Turkey Hill there. It's now a, a group assisted living home. And uh, that First Church of God, Hanover First Church of God that was meeting there, they had a vegetable stand. They would sell vegetables to raise money to send missionaries, summer missionaries into Canada. They would do that. Tomatoes. <laughs> squash, all this stuff, lettuce, all these things from the Eastern Shore, they would just sell them there and, and they would raise the money to do that. He went around, drove to the different colleges, to Moody Bible Institute, to Asbury College, to other colleges, Christian colleges, Bible colleges, went to the Urbana Triennial Missions Conference that takes place at the University of Illinois in Urbana. He, would, he went there with others. I think Gary Henson went along with him. And they would go there and they would recruit Young people from their colleges, would you give five weeks, six weeks? Would you travel on a rickety old school bus? Would you go with us up into Canada? And would you try to evangelize these people? And some of you are saying, but you're going to Quebec. I thought they all spoke French. The Indians, because of the forced uh, culturalization that was going on by the Canadian government at the time, they spoke English. And so they would go up and, and they would find where the native people were and they camped out with them and campfires with them and played volleyball with them and good news clubs with them and evangelized them and they did that and in the middle of all this as this church began to form ken henry had a vision and the vision was reaching the native people of canada that's what we're going to do but in order to sustain that and support them, we will have to start other churches. And he said, there will be an outreach for Christ in Littlestown, but there will also be an outreach for Christ in Millardic, Quebec, 
near Val d'Or, in the heart of Quebec, in the forest. We'll have, we'll have outreach for Christ there. He conceived that there would be outreach for Christ in many places around. He had a vision for that. Not that the vision was starting a church, but the vision was reaching people, and you can't really reach people if you don't start churches. In fact, people who are experts in studying how mission movements take place and evangelism movement takes place, really the most effective way to reach people is if you work at starting a church. Not just stealing people from other churches, but introduce people who've never met Christ, introduce them to Jesus, build a bridge to them, and help them meet Christ and come into the family of God. This is our heritage. This is the history of the church. And so for five, six summers during the early 1970s, young people would gather over here on Kindig Road, the farmhouse, and they would gather there, and that house is still there. You can see it just on the south end of Littlestown. And they would gather there for training. They would sleep in tents in the backyard. They would eat in an addition in the room that they had built on the side of the house. And they would have their training there and they would do all of that. And then they would load up the school bus and they'd load up a, a, a pickup truck with a camper on the back and these box trucks. And they would carry all the supplies and just have this little caravan that kind of snaked their way up you know, through Toronto, around Toronto and up through the Algonquin Provincial Park and all the way up into the heart of Quebec to Malartic where they were, they were ministering. That little group of people recruited a missionary family to go and live there and work at planning a church there. And tragically, the young missionary husband, father of an infant son, just a year old, was killed by a drunk driver while he was handing out tracts, sharing the gospel with the native people. And the vision of Ken Henry and the people who founded Littlestown Chapel Outreach for Christ was that we would reach people who've never heard the gospel. We'll be an outreach, not an inreach, but an outreach for Christ. That's what this is all about. It's our great heritage. And so with all of that in mind, this is why we need to endeavor to start other churches. Why we need to endeavor to reach 1030 by 2030. That's not just a clever marketing slogan. It's a goal. Let's see what God does. It's time to see what He'll do if we're willing to be used of Him. And this whole business of starting another church and starting other churches is not just about our heritage, it's not just about the Great Commission, but it's something that we need to do, I need to do, you need to do. Together, we need to do because it's something that will stretch our faith muscles. It's a workout. It's a training regimen. It's something that we need to sharpen our skills, to expand our gifts. It's something that we're doing to say, you know, I... I'm not content just being a spectator. I want to get involved. I don't want to just be challenged by a little idea. I want a big dream to motivate me, a big goal, a big vision to stretch me. And this is something that can stretch us and call out the best of us. So it's reaching others and in the process growing stronger and healthier more fruitful ourselves as we do that, as we have to depend upon God. 
Now, as we've talked about this vision, 1030 by 2030, as we've been talking about that over the last several weeks, we've used the life of Peter, you know, the disciple of Jesus, and looked at how Jesus interacted with Peter and how Peter responded to Jesus. In the process, we learned different lessons about community and about, you know, growing in our faith and growing stronger with the Lord. And as we do all of this, we, we even see Peter involved in reaching out to others. Now, so far, we focused on the fact of Peter being Jesus' disciples and lessons that he had to learn along the way, you know, lessons that God had a plan for his life and it's bigger than just, you know, Peter being the little fisherman. It's, it's the fact that Jesus wants to work through him and God, he's gonna become rocky. He's gonna become somebody who is strong and stable that others can build their lives upon in a sense and, and he can be a strong leader. And yet we keep seeing Peter missed the mark and fall out of the boat and begin to sink and things like that all along the way. And it's easy to think that Peter will never become that man that God can really use to be the kind of leader. Maybe you're thinking that God will never be able to use me because look at all my failures and look at my weaknesses and look at my ignorance and look at all this stuff and I, I can't be used by God. And yet, as we look at Peter's life, we say that if God can use Peter, he can use anybody if they're willing to yield to Jesus. The story that we're going to look at from Peter's life today, this, these true events from his life, these have happened many years after him walking on the water with Jesus. Many years after Peter declaring, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus saying to him later on, get behind me, Satan, and how he really didn't understand who Jesus really was. And Jesus is bigger than he imagined. And it's, and it's beyond the other things that we've witnessed also in Peter's life that we've talked about as well. Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples and all his followers, and he's ascended into glory. And he's given this commission that we just read from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This command to go into all the world and make disciples, to to wait for the power of the Spirit and to be witnesses of, of Jesus throughout the world, not just in their little comfort zone, but beyond that to the very ends of the earth. Peter's heard all of this. The day of Pentecost has come when God's Holy Spirit was poured out and power upon Peter, the rest of the disciples. And that day, Peter preached the gospel with such boldness and such clarity and such persuasiveness. And God was working. That's the secret sauce right there. God was working powerfully through the Spirit. 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus and began following him. And all of a sudden, what was just 12 men had grown to 120 people, had grown to over 3,000. It's astounding what God did through Peter's life and the other early followers of Jesus when they yielded to him. It's now several years later, and the church has continued to grow and Peter has suffered for his faith. He's been thrown in jail and been miraculously released. He's been faithful in declaring the word. They've had all kinds of things. They've, they've had some rough spots as the church has began to grow. And the different cultures within the church, those of a Greek background and those of a Jewish background, had to work at really getting along better together. And through all of this, the church has continued to grow. And God has continued to use Peter but when we think about what Peter's doing and, and what's the word of Jesus here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we realize that Peter and the church have been falling short. They haven't been doing everything that Jesus has asked them to do. 
And we realize as we look at these verses that they've been faithful preaching the word in Jerusalem, the capital where the church started, and they've even reached out in the countryside around them, and they've even gone to the people who were half-Jews in Samaria, kind of like their cousins, and they've reached out to them. They've done that. God's been working, moving the church out in this area. But they haven't crossed that last hurdle of beginning to reach people who were non-Jews. You could categorize them as and label them as the Jews' enemies. They're oppressors. They haven't started sharing the gospel with them. And I kind of get the idea, God is kind of going, well, come on, I'm waiting for you guys. When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? And they haven't done it. And I think he begins to move in a dramatic way to make it happen. Now, again, I've embellished it in saying that because truly God's timing is perfect. But what we see in Acts chapter 10 is God leading Peter to build a bridge. Our God builds bridges. And the question is, if God is a God who builds bridges to people who are far away from Him, the question is for us, do we build bridges? Do we cross the bridges that God builds? Are we bridge builders ourselves to people who do not yet know Christ? And I think as we look at the idea of starting another church, planning a daughter church, spinning off a satellite church, as we talk of doing that plan and pray and work to do that, it's about building bridges. It's about climbing over and walking and crossing the bridges that God builds for us and through us. And so there's some powerful lessons in this story as we read it together and we see God working and God building bridges to people who are far from Him. And again, we need to ask, are we bridge builders ourselves? So would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This is one of the longest narratives in the entire book of Acts, if not the longest. And what we're going to do is just read the story. I'll make some comments along the way, and then we'll, we'll wind up with a couple applications for us to remember as well. Acts chapter 10, this is on page 918, 918. Notice how God is a bridge builder here. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He's a non-commissioned officer. He's roughly in rank to a modern-day captain in the U.S. Army. He's got about 100 soldiers that are under his command. But the thing that is very interesting about Cornelius, that while he is an officer in the Roman occupation force controlling Palestine, he would be considered an enemy, an oppressor by the Jewish people. It's interesting that Cornelius loves the Jewish people. And the Jewish people know that. He's a friend. And so it says here that he is a devout man, which means that he feared God, that he was keeping the, the Jewish law. He obeyed the Ten Commandments. He kept kosher in his dietary habits and his dress customs and things like that and how he treated people. He studied the Scriptures. All these things were going on. And it was not only Cornelius, but his household as well. His wife, his children, his perhaps grandchildren, relatives, other people that were stationed there with him there in Caesarea. 
the capital of Palestine at that time. And, and, as, and, and not only that, I'm thinking also the servants that uh, worked with him and some of the soldiers as well. He was generous with his giving. He helped support the Jewish people, especially those that were in poverty. And he also was one who prayed continually. And it says in verse 3 that about the ninth hour of the day, and this is like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Cornelius is praying and it says that he saw a vision, in a vision, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms, your uh, financial gifts, have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Cornelius is praying. What is he praying for? I think we can read between the lines a little bit and say he's praying, God, I want to know you. God, I want salvation. God, I want to be in a right relationship with you. God, I want to know you better. And in answer to those prayers, God, seeing that Cornelius was somebody who was truly drawing close to him, God sends an angel because God is an ascending God. This angel comes on a mission as a representative of God because God is a God that's on a mission. He's on a mission to rescue people who are lost. And he sends the angel, and you can just imagine Cornelius is praying, and then he, he kind of wakes up in this vision, and he sees an angel walking toward him. And the angel's clothed in white. He's glorious, glistening, bright, shining, brilliant in every way. And he says, God wants you to ask for this man named Simon, also known as Peter. And he tells him where he's living, what town he's in, Tell him to come and see you. He has a message for you. And it says that Cornelius does just that. He gets one of his soldiers. He has a couple of his servants. And the soldier and also the servants are believing with him. They're, they're, they're God-fearing as well. And they travel 30 miles south to Joppa, also along the Israeli coast, the Palestinian coast there. And they go and, and travel there. And it's the next day. And I get the idea that if it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon and he sends them right away, they're traveling all night, walking or on horseback. And they arrive in Joppa where Simon Peter is staying. And while they are traveling to him, God is working in another way because he has to prepare Simon Peter. Now the thing is, is that Peter, as a good, devout Jewish man, would not normally go to Cornelius's house. That would not be what he does because Cornelius is a Gentile. Even though he's a God-fearing Gentile, even though he loves the Jewish people, he would not go and visit with a Gentile because there was a natural cultural animosity and hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. They were not allowed to fraternize. They were not allowed to associate with one another, eat together, work together, spend time in their homes together. They couldn't do that. The rabbis have said you must not do that because if you do that, their cultures, their false doctrines, their bad religion will corrupt you and lead you astray and you'll become an idol worshiper. You'll disobey God. They eat food that you're not supposed to eat because the dietary laws that God had given the Israelites, the Jewish people, was very particular. No shellfish. Anything that you catch and eat out of the sea has to have scales. Can't live inside of a shell. So no shrimp, no scallops, no clams, nothing like that. Okay? 
you can have all the fish you want, but no shellfish in any way. You can't have any pork. Don't know pigs. And there were a lot of other animals that they were not allowed to eat, and that was part of their kosher diet. And that food prohibition, those food prohibitions were just a reminder that God had chosen the Israelites. You're a special people to me. You're not to be like other cultures. They can eat all the bacon they want, but you can't. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm sure glad I'm a Gentile. But at the same time, he says, you're special to me. Peter's aware of that. He would not normally go and knock on Cornelius' house and say, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Can I tell you the rest of the story? He would not initiate that. He wouldn't initiate that. So God has to initiate it for Peter and for Cornelius. And so it says that while Peter is there visiting with Simon the Tanner, he's gone up on the roof. It's lunchtime and he wants to be alone. He wants to be private. There's probably an awning or something like that as he's up on this roof. It's like the patio of the house. And he's there. He's just spending some time in prayer. He's meditating on scripture. And it says that while he was doing that, it's about noontime, the sixth hour. It says in verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter, the good Jewish boy, is saying, There's no way I'm going to kill that pig and eat it. I don't care how much, how good bacon smells. I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat that shrimp. I'm not going to have a ham salad sandwich. I'm not going to do that kind of stuff. I'm not going to eat those things. No, I'm not going to do that. Are you testing me, Lord? And and the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. In other words, Peter, go ahead and eat. And by the way, down in Sunday school, there was a kid that heard this story and they asked, what is the name of the story or what's the meaning of the story? And the kid said, this is about the pigs in the blanket. And as they're looking at this and thinking about this, God says, Peter, I want you to kill and eat this. Have this food. You can eat this non-kosher food. Peter says, no. God says, look, what I've called clean, don't you call common or unclean. And the thing is, to make sure Peter really gets it, and you and I get it, it says in verse 16, this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once into heaven. And whenever you see something happening three times in a row like this, it's for emphasis. (laughs) It's emphatic. God is saying, Peter, don't miss this. What I have called clean, don't you dare call unclean or common. And it says, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, he was pondering what this meant, what the vision he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry, inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Go, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter's probably hearing the guys yelling outside by the gate. He's up on the roof. 
He can hear the commotion outside as they're trying to answer and figure out what's going on. The Spirit says within him, gives him a prompt, go with those guys, I've sent them. Don't hesitate. And when Peter goes down, he recognizes the soldier in his uniform. He sees the servants and he can tell by their dress that they're probably Gentiles also. And so is the soldier. And here he is, he's being asked to come. Is he being arrested? What's going on? What's happening? And he understands that no, God is working through all of this. God is orchestrating this. God has sent these men to come and call for them. And so Peter goes down and he says, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they explain, Cornelius, a centurion, upright, a God-fearing man, well spoken of. He was given a, a vision by the holy angel to ask for you. And he's inviting you to come to his house so that he can hear what you have to say. And you know something? Peter in this moment does something very courageous because it's at this moment he has a choice to make. Do I go along with all the culture, my tradition, my heritage as a Jew who separates himself from Gentiles and has nothing to do with them? Or am I willing to bring them into my circle and welcome them into my life? And Peter does that. He shows that he wants to do what these men have asked. He invites them to come in. He doesn't send them away. He shows hospitality to them. And so after spending the night with Peter, having a meal with Peter, probably meals with Peter, it says the next day Peter rose up and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Peter's thinking, I better have witnesses. <laughs> I better not do this all by myself. And a day later, they finally arrived in Caesarea, and it says that Cornelius in verse 24 was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. Now, Cornelius is just showing respect. He thinks Peter's some great prophet. He's not sure what Peter's going to say. And he just is showing this great respect, this great worship. And, and Peter right away is humble enough to say, look, I'm just a guy like you. I put my pants on the same way you do. Get up. Stand up. I too am a man. And he said to them, and this is actually a very interesting way to introduce himself, to start off a party or a, a dinner gathering this way. He says, uh, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. That's like identifying the elephant in the room immediately. And that's what Peter does. It's actually a very good rhetorical move. It gets their attention right away. Because look, he corrects himself immediately. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. You see that blanket being dropped out of heaven those three times with all those unclean animals in it and Peter being told to kill it and eat it? It wasn't really about food as much as it was about the fact that people, all people, God loves. All people should be open and have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And Peter's got to build a bridge, climb over the wall of prejudice and go be with Cornelius. It's right for him to do that. And Peter understands that that's what the vision was trying to teach him. So here, when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent me. 
And Cornelius goes in and explains how four days earlier, earlier part of the week, he had had the vision, the angel came to him and uh, told him to send for Peter. And he says in verse 33, so I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Here's Cornelius his wife, his family, his friends who've gathered, and they're just kind of on the edge of their seats, leaning in, just eagerly anticipating what is it that Peter is going to say? What's he going to do? What's he going to say? In verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. In other words, I know God doesn't play favorites. I know that God doesn't think of me as being superior or more special or more beloved than anybody else, whatever their color, whatever their background, whatever their nationality, whatever their language, wherever they've come from, they're no different than me. I too am a man and so are they. They too are a woman. They are a human being, so am I. God plays no favorites. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That's how he starts his message. This Jesus, the message that I have to declare, it's about Jesus. It's a message that's consistent with the message that has been proclaimed to Israel. Jesus is Lord of all. He's in charge of everybody. He's for everybody. He's over everybody. This is really about Jesus, Jesus Christ, Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. He's speaking to their common knowledge. Beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John the Baptist proclaimed, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He's saying, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he's the Messiah. The Holy Spirit anointed him, was poured out on him. He did good works. He even cast out demons. He healed everyone who was oppressed by the devil. And he did all this good. You've heard these stories. You've heard these rumors. You know this news. If you've been around the synagogue, you've heard people talking about what Jesus did. And we were witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And then he abruptly turns the corner and he tells something very shocking here. This is something about the message that we have declared that because so many years have passed, so many millennia have passed and we're so used to hearing it, it doesn't hit us with the impact that it would hit Cornelius. Peter has just said Jesus was the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the long-expected Messiah, who went around healing the, the sick and doing good, performing miracles, even casting out demons. Jesus did all of that, and he says then, and they killed him. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. He was crucified, in other words. That's a euphemism for saying he was crucified on a cross of wood. He was crucified. That's a shocking thing that would certainly get Cornelius' attention. What, the Messiah was killed? 
But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had, seen, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He's saying, look, this Jesus rose from the dead and he was physically alive and we saw him eat and we touched him and we talked with him and we were with him and we witnessed and experienced all of this and I'm here telling you that I'm a witness of these things. You can know these things are true. And he commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that he, that is Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. What Peter does is I want you to hear the bad news first. The bad news is this Jesus, who is Lord of all, who did good, who has power over the devil, who was crucified on the cross, but who God raised from the dead and appeared to us after the resurrection. This Jesus is the judge of everybody. He holds everybody accountable for their sins. Everyone accountable to God through Jesus. He's the judge of everybody, the living and the dead. Everybody in between. If you're alive or you're dead and everybody in between, he's the judge of them all. But the good news is this. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name that's the good news yes he is the judge of everyone but he's also the hope of everyone the hope of forgiveness for all people this jesus who died for us who rose for us this jesus is the one who truly can bring forgiveness and acceptance and reconciliation with God. This is how he is the message of peace. The God of peace has sent to us Jesus. He has built a bridge through Jesus for sinful, shameful, guilty people to be reconciled with a holy, righteous God. It's Jesus who did that. And whoever believes receives that forgiveness and the thing is is peter doesn't even get to the final point of his message doesn't even get to do any of that because it says while peter was still saying these things the holy spirit fell on all who heard the word (laughs) and the believers from among the circumcised the jews who were there who had come with peter were amazed because the gift of the holy spirit was poured out even on the gentiles for they were hearing them speak in tongues or languages known languages and extolling god giving praise to god and peter declared can anyone withhold water from being from for baptizing these people who have received the holy spirit just as we have and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of jesus christ and they asked him to remain for several days took a lot of guts for Peter to go to Cornelius. In a sense, he had to build a bridge, build a bridge across the gap of his prejudice. That's the first big gap that a bridge needs to to be built across. The gap of prejudice. These Gentiles, they're filthy, they're unclean, they're uncircumcised, they're dirty, they eat the wrong foods. And Cornelius was exactly like that, except he did fear the God of Israel, and he loved the God of Israel, and he was leaning toward and seeking, and he was exploring, what does the God of Israel have for me? me?" And he's praying for that. And God hears his prayer and sends Peter to share the good news with him. 
Peter has to overcome this, this gap, this gulf of prejudice. You and I need to understand that when it comes to sharing the gospel with others, when it comes to planting other churches, we're going to have to cross the gulf, the gap of prejudice. Those people are not my concern. You know, I've got enough problems with my family. Our church has enough needs. Why should I care about seeing another church get started? Why should I care about those people in that community, in that town? Those people of that race, that language group. Why should I care about that? When I have so many needs myself and we have so many problems right here. And the answer is is that Jesus has already built the bridge to them. Who's going to cross it? Are we willing to see ourselves as fellow human beings? Are we willing to see ourselves as people who have been loved by God and can in return love others? Even if they're different than us? Even if they're our enemies? In our world today, the challenge for a lot of us here in America is to love people who are Muslims or people who come from south of the border, or people who have a different skin color than us. And we often say, I don't want to be with them. And, and, and truthfully, the issue is not, I mean, we all say, oh, I'm not prejudiced. I'm not prejudiced. I'm not prejudiced. But I'll tell you this, I am lazy. And it takes work to understand another culture. It takes work to be with them. It takes work to listen to them. It takes work to love them and to let them listen to and love and be with us because it goes both ways. Because Peter extends hospitality, but then he receives Cornelius' hospitality. And maybe you'll say in your heart of hearts, I'm not prejudiced. But the truth is, in our minds, we go to where it's easiest. I don't want to make new friendships. I don't want to get to know strangers. I don't want to try to learn about another culture and appreciate what they do. The truth is, is that people are alike. It's cultures that are different. And often people are more alike than their cultures let on. If you take that person that's of a different political background and different political belief than you, and even though you feel like if we really start talking about we're going to butt heads, if you talk to them individually, you realize you probably believe a lot of the same things. We just tend to put our hope in different ways of trying to meet those needs. If you talk to that person that's of a different skin color than you or a different cultural background or nation, nationality than you or a different language group than you, if you talk to them, you realize they want the same things that you and I do. They care about the same things. They have the same anxieties and fears. They have the same kind of struggles. They just have a different history and heritage and cultural way of dealing with that. And yet they are just like you and just like me. If we're going to cross the bridge of prejudice, we've got to be willing to see that God has already built that bridge across that gap of prejudice. And if God says and accepts them and he says they're not unclean, that I should never say they're unclean. If God says I care and love about them, if Christ was willing to die for them too, then certainly can I give my life to get to know them 
and share Jesus with them as well. If we're ever going to plant a church, we've got to cross the bridge, build a bridge across prejudice, and Jesus has already done that through giving His life for us. Something else that I notice here, there's also a knowledge or ignorance. I'm going to just say it this way. There's a bridge of, a, a gap of ignorance, a gap of ignorance. Cornelius didn't have all the facts. He didn't know what God wanted him to do. All he knew about were the Ten Commandments. All he knew about was eating kosher. All he knew about were the different dietary laws and cultural heritage of the Jewish people. And that's all he knew. And, and yet God saw that his heart was leaning toward the Lord, leaning toward God, wanting to know God, but it was incomplete. There was an ignorance gap. I'm sure as an officer, Cornelius was well-educated, probably more educated than most of the people around him as an officer. But at the same time, there was an ignorance gap. He lacked knowledge. And you could say, but he saw an angel. But the angel didn't save him. And you and I need to be very careful as we talk to people that just because somebody has had a spiritual experience doesn't make us or them a child of God. Just because I've seen a miracle or seen an angel doesn't make me a Christian, doesn't make me a believer, doesn't make me saved. It's only when we meet Jesus Christ and trust in Him. And that's what Peter does. I want you to know the message. The message is, are you willing to trust in Jesus who is Lord of all, who's the judge of all people, but He's the hope of all people because He brings forgiveness. He died for us. He rose from the dead. We are, we are living witnesses of what He's done. Are you willing to believe and trust in Him? And you too can be forgiven and accepted by God. If we're going to be bridge builders like God is, we've got to be willing to bridge the gap of ignorance and tell people the truth about who Jesus is and what He's done. Think about all the things that you and I talk about. The store that has that really good sale. The car we've bought that we're really happy with. How well our team is doing in sports. That movie that we watched this weekend that series that we've been watching online that's really good. We talk about all kinds of things, our accomplishments, fun things that we've done, things that we're worried about. We talk about all that kind of stuff all the time. Are we willing to speak up and tell others of Jesus? And that's exactly what Peter did, and that's a model for us. But the thing is, really, the biggest gap of all that has to be bridged is not one of ignorance, it's not one of prejudice, it's fear. It's fear. I'm afraid of them because they're different than me. I'm afraid that I'm going to blow up because I don't know how to tell the gospel and I need God's help. But there's something else God does in this story. And this is, this is, this is the unseen actor in all of this, this entire account. We look at Cornelius and we look at Peter and we cheer for them, the two great actors in this story we see. But it's the Holy Spirit who sent the angel to Cornelius. And it's the Holy Spirit 
who speaks to Peter and tells him to go and says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. And it's the Holy Spirit who falls upon Cornelius and his family and his friends, who fills them with the Spirit, who fills them with power in the presence of God. And they begin glorifying God in these unknown languages as a witness to the Jewish people there who are watching, reminding them that God has fallen on them and God is working on these Gentiles equally as he did with the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost. They're not second class citizens they're on the same level they're equals because of Jesus and through the presence of the Spirit you see there's a power gap maybe we could call it the the weakness gap the human frailty gap I'm afraid of those those people they're different than me I don't know what to say Our culture is so hard and so cold and so distracted. I don't know that anybody will get saved. I've had people say things like that to me. I don't know if anybody will ever believe. I don't know if they'll ever become a Christian because there's just so much distraction in our culture. But none of those things are too hard for the Holy Spirit. My weakness is no barrier for the Holy Spirit. My inadequacies, my my foolishness, my, my ignorance, my powerlessness, those are not problems for the Holy Spirit. He can overcome all of that and make me a bold witness a fruitful witness. The hardness of our culture, the distractions of our culture, the the things about our culture that are so wicked and evil that seem to be leading a people away from God, those things are not too hard for God's Spirit to overcome. And so God builds a bridge over prejudice by reminding us of His great love for all people. And God builds a bridge over their ignorance and our fear by reminding us that the good news is what saves. This is the message that changes everybody. And when we think about our frailty and our inadequacy and how blind and lost they are and how weak and frail and foolish we are, God has built a bridge there too and He's the Holy Spirit. And through His power, His wisdom, and His grace, we can declare the good news and people will get saved and people will begin to follow Christ and churches will be born and the gospel will spread in this community and around the world. God is building bridges. Will you walk across them to the people who don't yet know Jesus? Will you do that? Let me pray with you and then we'll be dismissed. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, we give you thanks for this story. And it's just a powerful reminder of your faithfulness and what you can do when we trust in you. And I ask that we would do that for your honor and glory. I ask that, Father, you would help us to see that you are the the God who does build bridges and there's no canyon or chasm, there's no wall or barrier that can keep your truth from coming to the people you love and want to bring into your kingdom. And I thank you that you're working and moving. Lord, use us. Here am I, use me. Here, use us. Use this church. Help us to see the bridges that you're building. Help us to climb across them. Help us to walk in the power of the Spirit, to walk in your love, to walk in the the truth of the gospel, that we would cross those bridges boldly and make Christ known to the people around us for your honor and for your glory. 
We ask that, Lord, we would be faithful in all of this because you're the God who has faithfully done this. Thank you for sending Jesus to build a bridge to us so that we might come to you. Thank you, Jesus. May we surrender to him daily for your honor and glory. And we ask these things in his name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go in